Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, August the 14th. And this podcast for the issue of the Lancet dated August the 15th to the 21st relates to the cardiology themed issue that will be going to the European Society of Cardiology meeting at the end of the month. In a moment, we'll be discussing a study which is looking at the optimum target for systolic blood pressure for people who are not diabetic with hypertension. Just before that, some other cardiology highlights to give you. A research article suggesting that urinary albumin and creatine ratios could be a predictor of heart failure. This is part of the CHARM research program. Another research article looks at the closure of the left atrial appendage as opposed to standard warfarin therapy for individuals with atrial fibrillation at risk of stroke. We have a seminar about hypoplastic left heart syndrome and two reviews, one about the antithrombotic management of people with prosthetic heart valves and another about drug-induced fibrotic heart disease and an interesting titled case report called Beans in the Pericardium with an accompanying web video. Do look at it if you get the chance. And all of the content is rounded up in the long editorial this week. But we're going to focus on the research article which is looking at an optimum target for systolic blood pressure for people with hypertension. Earlier I spoke to the lead author of the study. The study is called Cardiosis, Dr. Paolo Videcchia from the University of Perugia in Italy. Dr. Paolo Videcchia, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. You're one of the authors of a study in this week's issue. This is the cardiology issue of The Lancet that will be at the European Society of Cardiology meeting in a couple of weeks' time. And this study is the Cardiosis study, which is looking at the concept of targeted lowering of systolic blood pressure for people who are not diabetic but who have hypertension. Just before we get into the details of the Cardiosis study, Dr. Videcchia, can you just Give us some context here. Up until this current study, what have we known about what should be an ideal target for systolic blood pressure for people with hypertension? It might sound like some sort of a paradox that uh, although the major international uh, uh, hypertension guidelines recommend a systolic target of BP lower than 140 millimeters of mercury in hypertensive patients without diabetes, there is absolutely no evidence from uh, randomized studies, I mean from uh, head-to-head comparisons between uh, different SBP targets to, to support such a recommendation in hypertensive patients without diabetes. What we have in the literature are post-hoc analysis of uh, drug studies, like for example the fever study, a study carried out in China, in which patients uh, were randomized to felodipine or to placebo, and those randomized to felodipine achieved the SBP below 140 millimeters of mercury, while those randomized to placebo achieved the SBP slightly above 140 millimeters of mercury. And in this study, there were fewer cardiovascular events in the felodipine group than in the placebo group, but 13% of all these patients had diabetes at entry. So the claim on 140 millimeters of mercury target should not be entirely extrapolated to non-diabetic people. I've also found on the web that the NIH is planning a major study in about 7,000 of non-diabetic patients with hypertension to compare a usual BP target below 140 versus a very tight target below 120. So an even, uh, say, tar- tighter target than in cardiosis. The duration of the study should be five years, So we are very, very far from the conclusions. Just before I ask you to explain the design of 
cardio says. Can you just remind us, I think we know, but just remind us of what the long-term effects can be with sustained high blood pressure? Well, we have uh, converging pieces of evidence in this area from uh, observational studies on a side and intervention study on the other side. The observational studies clearly show that uh, BP measured even in one single visit is uh, directly associated with the risk of cardiovascular disease. And this starts from values as low as 115 over 75 millimeters of mercury. And this holds at any age. And here for cardiovascular disease, I mean stroke, coronary artery disease, congestive heart failure, but also peripheral artery disease and renal failure do show a consistent, strong association with the levels of blood pressure. On the other end, the meta-regression analysis of intervention trial Trials usually uh, conducted in patients with high blood pressure or with high cardiovascular risk have shown that the greater the performance of one treatment over another in terms of amount of VP reduction, the greater the outcome benefit in that treatment group compared to the other. It's very, very striking to know that uh, even, uh, even a small reduction uh, in systolic blood pressure, say, in the order of about uh, 5 millimeters of mercury or so, is associated with an average 25% reduction of cardiovascular events. So blood pressure lowering is really important to prevent uh, cardiovascular disease. Tell us about cardio, sis. What were the objectives of the study? And just briefly summarize the methodology, if you would. CardioCIS, as you know, stands for uh, Italian study of the cardiovascular effects of uh, systolic blood pressure control. And basically, it was a head-to-head uh, randomized comparison between uh, a usual and a tight control of systolic blood pressure, defined as uh, below 140 millimeters of mercury versus below 130 millimeters of mercury. We restricted the enrollment to hypertensive patients without diabetes because, uh, you know, in those with diabetes, a tight BP control has been already recommended by guidelines. And the main inclusion criteria were age greater than 55, a treated systolic BP equal to or greater than 150, 150 millimeters of mercury, and at least one additional cardiovascular risk factor with exclusion of diabetes. After randomization, patients have been followed for two years with clinical visits scheduled every four months. The primary endpoint on which the, the study has been powered was the prevalence of uh, left ventricular hypertrophy, the LVH, defined by ECG at the final two-year visit. You know that this endpoint is uh, an intermediate outcome, has been defined as an intermediate outcome, that is anyway a very, very strong predictor of uh, cardiovascular disease. And uh, for diagnosis of uh, uh, LVH by ECG, we use the validated Perugia score, which is positive for LVH in the presence of either a modified corneal voltage greater than 20 millimeters in women or 24 in men, or a typical strain pattern or a Romil test score of a five or more. And in addition to the primary endpoint, we have also pre-specified a main secondary clinical outcome as a broad composite pool of all-cause death and cardiovascular events. And, of course, all events have been adjudicated by an independent committee who wasn't aware of treatment allocation. And also the ECG tracing were examined in a, in a central facility by readers who were unaware 
of a treatment allocation. This was the basic design of the study. Thank you. One question I have, please, for a little bit of clarification. In the arm that was uh, assigned tight control of blood pressure, i.e. down to uh, 130 or less, how was that achieved during the two years? Were they given extra access to, to medication? How could you actually say to a group of people, you've got to go and have blood pressure control of 130 or less? Well, the, the antihypertensive treatment in cardiosis included drugs taken by patients before the commencement of the study as their, I say, background therapy, plus drug, drugs made available for the purpose of the study. And uh, we dispensed uh, furosemide, uh, remipril, telmisartan, amlodipine, bisoprolol, and transdermal clonidine. And uh, these drugs were dispensed freely for the purpose of the study. At every visit, the choice of the drug in individual patients was left to the discretion of the investigators without any pre-specified scheme or forced titration or so. At the end of the study, we found that the diuretics and, to a lesser extent, the angiotensin receptor blockers, the RBs, were given more frequently in the tight control group than in the usual control group. And for diuretic drugs, the difference was statistically significant. And uh, this finding seemed to suggest something like a modern tendency towards the use of diuretics and IRBs to achieve a tight control of systolic blood pressure in patients with uh, uh, uncontrolled hypertension because, you know, on uh, admission to the study, their blood pressure had to be 150 or higher despite sustained antihypertensive treatment. And notably, also the use of aspirin and statin increased equally in the two groups, suggesting a broadly, something like a broadly aggressive approach for prevention of cardiovascular disease in these patients. And just briefly summarize the main findings, if you would. Yeah, well, the mean age of uh, our patients at entry was 67, uh, baseline BP was 163 over 90 millimeters of mercury. And uh, over the two years of follow-up, the systolic blood pressure was reduced by 23.5 millimeters of mercury in the usual control group and 27.3 millimeters of mercury in the tight control group. And the difference between the two groups averaged 3.8 millimeters of mercury. It was statistically significant. The primary endpoint of the study, which was the prevalence of LVH at the two-year visit, occurred in the 17.0% of patients in the usual control group and in 11.4% of patients in the tight control group. So the reduction was by 37% that it was statistically significant with a P equal to 0.013. The composite cardiovascular outcome, which was the main secondary endpoint of the study, occurred in 9.4% of patients in the usual control group versus 4.8% of patients in the tight control group with a significant 50% reduction, although the absolute number relatively small because the trial was not sized on the cardiovascular events. And among the components on the composite clinical outcome, we found that the atrial fibrillation and coronary artery revascularization were significantly less frequent in the tight control group than in the usual control group. And it was also encouraging that uh, side effects were very rare and did not differ significantly between the two groups. A clear result here, and interesting that just a reduction of three millimeters of mercury, 
brought about those significant, statistically significant findings. What does it mean for clinical practice and what does it mean for guidelines? I also just wonder, is there a danger that having a harder target to achieve if you have high blood pressure, such as 130 or less, is could that possibly be a disincentive because mm. maybe patients and maybe some clinicians think that will be too hard mm. to achieve? Uh, well, I don't think so because... Uh, I would like to remark the point that uh, between 40% and 50% of patients uh, randomized to the tighter BP control actually achieved this ambitious target of SBP lower than 130 millimeters of mercury. It was between 40 and 50% of patients. And between 70 to 80% of patients randomized to the usual uh, control group achieved the target SBP lower than 140 millimeters of mercury. And overall, this is an important achievement in consideration of the, say, the poor degree of uh, BP control in the general population. So, after all, I guess that these, uh, these findings should sound like an incentive to doctors and patients to be somewhat more aggressive in these patients uh, first, with the aim of achieving, uh, say, more regression of left ventricular hypertrophy, which was the primary endpoint of the study, and hopefully uh, to achieve uh, a lesser risk of uh, cardiovascular events. Uh, of course, uh, since the cardiovascular events were not the primary endpoint of our study, our outcome results should be considered as a hypothesis generating and uh, uh, potentially useful for uh, for planning uh, a larger outcome trial focusing on clinical events, like, for example, the trial currently in the planning stage at NIH. That is the next step, is it? This needs replication in a larger trial? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dr. Paolo Videcchia on the line from Perugia in Italy. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you very much to you. Many thanks to Dr. Paolo Videcchia. And do look out for the accompanying comment alongside this article, written by Bo Carbo from the University of Umia in Sweden, who comments that further adequately powered randomized trials are needed before guidelines and clinical practice should change. Well, that's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. See you next time.